Section 2 of In Vino Veritas from Stages on Life's Way by Soren Kierkegaard. Translated by Lee M. Hollander, 1880-1972. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 2. The Young Person's Speech The young person arose and declared that he felt the power of the wine, which was indeed apparent to some degree, for the blood pulsed strongly in his temples, and his appearance was not as beautiful as before the meal. He spoke as follows. If there be truth in the words of the poets, dear fellow banqueteers, then unrequited love is indeed the greatest of sorrows. Should you require any proof of this, you need but listen to the speech of lovers. They say that it is death, certain death, and the first time they believe it, for the space of two weeks. The next time they say that it is death, and finally they will die sometime as a result of unrequited love. For that love has killed them, about that there can obtain no doubt. And as to love's having to take hold three times to make away with them, that is not different from the dentist's having to pull three times before he is able to budge that firmly rooted molar. But if unrequited love thus means certain death, how happy am I who have never loved, and I hope will only achieve dying some time, and not from unrequited love. But just this may be the greatest misfortune for all I know, and how unfortunate must I then be. The essence of love, probably, for I speak as does a blind man about colors, probably lies in its bliss, which is, in other words, that the sensation of love brings death to the lover. This I comprehend very well as in the nature of a hypothesis correlating life and death. But if love is to be merely by way of hypothesis, why then lovers lay themselves open to ridicule through their actually falling in love? if however love is something real why then reality must bear out what lovers say about it but did one in real life ever hear of or observe such things having taken place even if there is hearsay to that effect here i perceive already one of the contradictions in which love involves a person for whether this is different for those initiated that i have no means of knowing but love certainly does seem to involve people in the most curious contradictions there is no other relation between human beings which makes such demands on one's ideality as does love and yet love is never seen to have it for this reason alone i would be afraid of love for i fear that it might have the power to make me to talk vaguely about a bliss which i did not feel and a sorrow i did not have i say this here since i am bidden to speak on love though unacquainted with it i say this in surroundings which appeal to me like a greek symposium for i should otherwise not care to speak on this subject 
as i do not wish to disturb any one's happiness but rather am content with my own thoughts who knows but that these thoughts are sheer imbecilities and vain imaginations perhaps my ignorance is inexplicable from the fact that i never have learned nor have wished to learn from any one how one comes to love or from the fact that i never yet challenged a woman with a glance which is supposed to be smart but have always lowered my eyes unwilling to yield to an impression before having fully made sure about the nature of the power into whose sphere i am venturing at this point he was interrupted by constantine who expostulated with him because by his very confession of never having been in love he had debarred himself from speaking the young person declared that at any other time he would gladly obey an injunction to that effect as he had often enough experienced how tiresome it was to have to make a speech but that in this case he would insist upon his right precisely the fact that one had had no love affair he said also constituted an affair of love and he who could assert this of himself was entitled to speak about eros just because his thoughts were bound to take issue with the whole sex and not with individuals he was granted permission to speak and continued inasmuch as my right to speak has been challenged this may serve to exempt me from your laughter for i know well that just as among rustics he is not considered a man who does not call a tobacco pipe his own likewise among men folks he is not considered a real man who is not experienced in love if any one feels like laughing let him laugh my thought is and remains the essential consideration for me or is love perchance privileged to be the only event which is to be considered after rather than before it happens if that be the case what then if i having fallen in love should later on think that it were too late to think about it look you this is the reason why i choose to think about love before it happens to be sure lovers also maintain that they gave the matter thought but such is not the case they assume it to be essential in man to fall in love but this surely does not mean thinking about love but rather assuming it in order to make sure of getting oneself a sweetheart in fact whenever my reflection endeavors to pin down love naught but contradiction seems to remain at times it is true i feel as if something had escaped me but i cannot tell what it is whereas my reflection is able at once to point out the contradictions in what does occur very well then in my opinion love is the greatest self-contradiction imaginable and comical at the same time indeed the one corresponds to the other the comical is always seen to occur in the category of contradictions which truth i cannot take the time to demonstrate now but what i shall demonstrate now is that love is comical by love i mean the relation between man and woman 
i am not thinking of eros in the greek sense which has been extolled as beautiful by plato who by the way is so far from considering the love of woman that he mentions it only in passing holding it to be inferior to the love of youths i say love is comical to a third person more i say not whether it is for this reason that lovers always hate a third person i do not know but i do know that reflection is always in such a relation to the third person and for this reason i cannot love without at the same time having a third person present in the shape of my reflection this surely cannot seem strange to any one every one having doubted everything whereas i am uttering my doubts only with reference to love and yet i do think it strange that people have doubted everything and have again reached certainty without as much as dropping a word concerning the difficulties which have held my thought captive so much so that i have now and then longed to be freed of them freed by the aid of one note well who was aware of these difficulties and not of one who in his sleep had a notion to doubt and to have doubted everything and again in his sleep had the notion that he is explaining and has explained all let me then have your attention dear fellow banqueteers and if you yourselves be lovers do not therefore interrupt me nor try to silence me because you do not wish to hear the explanation rather turn away and listen with averted faces to what i have to say and what i insist upon saying having once begun in the first place i consider it comical that everyone loves and everyone wishes to love without anyone having been able to tell one what is the nature of the lovable or that which is the real object of love as to the word to love i shall not discuss it since it means nothing definite but as soon as the matter is broached at all we are met by the question as to what it is one loves no other answer is ever vouchsafed us on that point other than that one loves what is lovable for if one should make answer with plato that one is to love what is good one has in taking this single step exceeded the bounds of the erotic the answer may be offered perhaps that one is to love what is beautiful but if i then should ask whether to love means to love a beautiful landscape or a beautiful painting it would be immediately perceived that the erotic is not as it were comprised in the more general terms of the love of things beautiful but is something entirely of its own kind were a lover just to give an example to speak as follows in order to express adequately how much love there dwelled in him i love beautiful landscapes and my la lodge and the beautiful dancer and a beautiful horse in short i love all that is beautiful his la lodge would not be satisfied with his encomium however well satisfied she might be with him in all other respects and even if she be beautiful and now suppose the lodge is not beautiful and he yet loved her again if i should refer the erotic element 
to the bisection of which aristophanes tells us when he says that the god severed man into two parts as one cuts flounders and that these parts thus separated sought one another then i again encounter a difficulty i cannot get over which is in how far i may base my reasoning on aristophanes who in his speech just because there is no reason for the thought to stop at this point goes further in his thought and thinks that the gods might take it into their heads to divide man into three parts for the sake of still better fun for the sake of still better fun for is it not true as i said that love renders a person ridiculous if not in the eyes of others then certainly in the eyes of the gods now let me assume that the erotic element resides essentially in the relation between man and woman what is to be inferred from that if the lover should say to his lalage i love you because you are a woman i might as well love any other woman as for instance ugly zoe then beautiful lalage would feel insulted in what then consists the lovable this is my question but unfortunately no one has been able to tell me the individual lover always believes that as far as he is concerned he knows still he cannot make himself understood by any other lover and he who listens to the speech of a number of lovers will learn that no two of them ever agree even though they all talk about the same thing disregarding those altogether silly explanations which leave one as wise as before that is and by asserting that it is really the pretty feet of the beloved damsel or the admired mustachios of the swain which are the objects of love disregarding these one will find mentioned even in the declamations of lovers in the higher style first a number of details and finally the declaration in all her lovable ways and when they have reached the climax that inexplicable something i do not know how to explain and the speech is meant to please especially beautiful lalage me it does not please for i don't understand a word of it and find rather that it contains a double contradiction first that it ends with the inexplicable second that it ends with the inexplicable for he who intends to eat with the inexplicable had best begin with the inexplicable and then say no more lest he lay himself open to suspicion if he begin with the inexplicable saying no more then this does not prove his helplessness for it is anyway an explanation in a negative sense but if he does begin with something else and lands in the inexplicable then this does certainly prove his helplessness so then we see to love corresponds to the lovable and the lovable is the inexplicable well that is at least something but comprehensible it is not as little as the inexplicable way in which love seizes on its prey who indeed would not be alarmed if people about one time and again dropped down dead all of a sudden and had convulsions without anyone being able to account for it 
but precisely in this fashion does love invade life only with the difference that one is not alarmed thereby since the lovers themselves regard it as their greatest happiness but that one on the contrary is tempted to laugh for the comical and the tragical elements ever correspond to one another today one may converse with a person and can fairly well make him out tomorrow he speaks in tongues and with strange gestures he is in love now if to love meant to fall in love with the first person that came along it would be easy to understand that one could give no special reasons for it but since to love means to fall in love with one one single person in all the world it would seem as if such an extraordinary process of singling out ought to be due to such an extensive chain of reasoning that one might have to beg to be excused from hearing it not so much because it did not explain anything as because it might be too lengthy to listen to but no the lovers are not able to explain anything at all he has seen hundreds upon hundreds of women he is perhaps advanced in years and has all along felt nothing and all at once he sees her her the only one catherine is this not comical is it not comical that the relation which is to explain and beautify all life love is not like the mustard seed from which there grows a great tree but being still smaller is at bottom nothing at all for not a single antecedent criterion can be mentioned as e g that the phenomenon occurred at a certain age nor a single reason as to why he should select her her alone in all the world and that by no means in the same sense as when adam chose eve because there was none other or is not the explanation which the lovers vouchsafe just as comical or does it not rather emphasize the comical aspect of love they say that love renders one blind and by this fact they undertake to explain the phenomenon now if a person who was going into a dark room to fetch something should answer on my advising him to take a light along that it was only a trifling matter he wanted and so he would not bother to take a light along ah then i would understand him excellently well if on the other hand this same person should take me aside and with an air of mystery confide to me that the thing he was about to fetch was of the very greatest importance and that it was for this reason that he was able to do it in the dark ah then i wonder if my weak mortal brain would follow the soaring flight of his speech even if i should refrain from laughing in order not to offend him i should hardly be able to restrain my mirth as soon as he had turned his back but at love nobody laughs for i am quite prepared to be embarrassed like the jew who after ending his story asks is there no one who will laugh and yet i do not miss the point as did the jew and as to my laughter i am far from wanting to insult any one quite on the contrary i scorn those fools who imagine that their love has such good reasons 
that they can afford to laugh at other lovers for since love is altogether inexplicable one lover is as ridiculous as the other quite as foolish and haughty i consider it also when a man proudly looks about him in the circle of girls to find one who may be worthy of him or when a girl proudly tosses her head to select or reject because such persons are simply basing their thoughts on an unexplained assumption no what busies my thought is love as such and it is love which seems ridiculous to me and therefore i fear it lest i should become ridiculous in my own eyes or ridiculous in the eyes of the gods who have fashioned man thus in other words if love is ridiculous it is equally ridiculous whether now my sweetheart is a princess or a servant girl for the lovable as we have seen is the inexplicable look you therefore do i fear love and find precisely in this a new proof of love's being comical for my fear is so curiously tragic that it throws light on the comical nature of love when people wreck a building a sign is hung up to warn people and i take care to stand from under when a bar has been freshly painted a stone is laid in the road to appraise people of the fact when a driver is in danger of running a man over he will shout look out when there have been cases of cholera in a house a soldier is set as guard and so forth what i mean is that if there is some danger one may be warned and will successfully escape it by heeding the warning now fearing to be rendered ridiculous by love i certainly regard it as dangerous so what shall i do to escape it in other words what shall i do to escape the danger of some woman falling in love with me i am far from entertaining the thought of being an adonis every girl is bound to fall in love with relata raffero for what this means i do not understand goodness no but since i do not know what the lovable is i cannot by any manners of means know how to escape this danger since for that matter the very opposite of beauty may constitute the lovable and finally since the inexplicable also is lovable i am forsooth in the same situation as the man jean paul speaks of somewhere who standing on one foot reads a sign saying fox traps here and now does not dare either to lift his foot or to set it down no love any one i will not before i have fathomed what love is but this i cannot but have rather come to the conclusion that it is comical hence i will not love but alas i have not thereby avoided the danger for since i do not know what the lovable is and how it seizes me or how it seizes a woman with reference to me i cannot make sure whether i have avoided the danger this is tragical and in a certain sense even profoundly tragical even if no one is concerned about it or if no one is concerned about the bitter contradiction for one who thinks that a something exists which everywhere exercises its power and yet is not to be definitely conceived by thought 
and which perhaps may attack from the rear him who in vain seeks to conceive it but as to the tragic side of the matter it has its deep reason in the comic aspects just pointed out possibly every other person will turn all this upside down and not find that to be comical which i do but rather that which i conceive to be tragical but this too proves that i am right to a certain extent and that for which if so happens i become either a tragic or comic victim is plain enough viz my desire to reflect about all i do and not imagine i am reflecting about life by dismissing its every important circumstance with an i don't care either way man has both a soul and a body about this the wisest and the best of the race are agreed now in case one assumes the essence of love to lie in the relation between man and woman the comic aspect will show again in the face about which is seen when the highest spiritual values express themselves in the most sensual terms i am now referring to all those extraordinary and mystic signals of love in short to all the freemasonry which forms a continuation of the above-mentioned inexplicable something the contradiction in which love here involves a person lies in the fact that the symbolic signs mean nothing at all or which amounts to the same that no one is able to explain what they do signify two loving souls vow that they will love each the other in all eternity thereupon they embrace and with a kiss they seal this eternal pact now i ask any thinking person whether he would have hit upon that and thus there is constant shifting from the one to the other extreme in love the most spiritual is expressed by its very opposite and the sensual is to signify the most spiritual let me assume i am in love in that case i would conceive it to be of the utmost importance to me that the one i love belong to me for all time this i comprehend for i am now really speaking only of greek eroticism which has to do with loving beautiful souls now when the person i love had vowed to return my love i would believe her or in as far as there remained any doubt in me try to combat my doubt but what happens actually for if i were in love i would probably behave like all the others that is seek to obtain still some other assurance than merely to believe her i love which though is plainly the only assurance to be had when a cockatoo all at once begins to plume himself like a duck which is gorged with food and then emits the word marianne everybody will laugh and so will i i suppose the spectator finds it comical that cockatoo who doesn't love marianne at all should be on such intimate terms with her but suppose now that cockatoo does love marianne would that be comical still to me it would and the comical would seem to me to lie in love's having become capable of being expressed in such fashion 
whether now this has been the custom since the beginning of the world makes no difference whatsoever for the comical has the prescriptive right from all eternity to be present in contradictions and here is a contradiction there is really nothing comical in the antics of a mannequin since we see someone pulling the strings but to be a mannequin at the beck of something inexplicable is indeed comical for the contradiction lies in our not seeing any sensible reason why one should have to twitch now this leg and now that hence if i cannot explain what i am doing i do not care to do it and if i cannot explain the power into whose sphere i am venturing i do not care to surrender myself to that power and if love is so mysterious a law which binds together the extremest contradictions then who will guarantee that i might not one day become altogether confused still that does not concern me so much again i have heard that some lovers consider the behavior of other lovers ridiculous i cannot conceive how this ridicule is justified for if this law of love be a natural law then all lovers are subject to it but if it be the law of their own choice then those laughing lovers ought to be able to explain all about love which however they are unable to do and in this respect i understand this matter better as it seems a convention for one lover to laugh at the other because he always finds the other lover ridiculous but not himself if it be ridiculous to kiss an ugly girl it is also ridiculous to kiss a pretty one and the notion that doing this in some particular way should entitle one to cast ridicule on another who does it differently is but presumptuousness and a conspiracy which does not for all that exempt such a snob from laying himself open to the ridicule which invariably results from the fact that no one is able to explain what this act of kissing signifies whereas it is to signify all to signify indeed that the lovers desire to belong to each other in all eternity Aye what is still more amusing to render them certain that they will now if a man should suddenly lay his head on one side and shake it or kick out with his leg and upon my asking him why he did this should answer to be sure i don't know myself i just happened to do so next time i may do something different for i did it unconsciously Ah then i would understand him quite well but if he said as the lovers say about their antics that all bliss may lay therein how could i help finding it ridiculous just as i thought the other man's motions ridiculous to be sure in a different sense until he restrained my laughter by declaring that they did not signify anything for by doing so he removed the contradiction which is the basic cause of the comical it is not at all comical that the insignificant is declared to signify nothing but it is very much so if it be asserted to signify all
as regards involuntary actions the contradiction arises at the very outset because involuntary actions are not looked for in a free rational being thus if one supposed that the pope had a coughing spell the very moment he was to place the crown on napoleon's head or that bride and groom in the most solemn moment of the wedding ceremony should fall to sneezing these would be examples of the comical that is the more a given action accentuates the free rational being the more comical are involuntary actions this holds true also in respect to the erotic gesticulations where the comical element appears a second time owing to the circumstance that the lovers attempt to explain away the contradiction by attributing to their gesticulations an absolute value as is well known children have a keen sense of the ridiculous witness children's testimony which can always be relied on in this respect now as a rule children will laugh at lovers and if one makes them tell what they have seen surely no one can help laughing that is perhaps due to the fact that children omit the point very strange when the jew omitted the point no one cared to laugh here on the contrary everyone laughs because the point is omitted since however no one can explain what the point is why then there is no point at all so the lovers explain nothing and those who praise love explain nothing but are merely intent on as one is bidden in the royal laws of denmark on saying anent at all which may be pleasant and of good report but a man who thinks desires to have his logical categories in good order and he who thinks about love wishes to be sure about his categories also in this matter the fact is that people do not think about love and a pastoral science is still lacking but even if a poet in a pastoral poem makes an attempt to show how love is born everything is smuggled in again by help of another person who teaches the lovers how to love as we saw the comical element in love arose from the face about whereby the highest quality of one sphere does not find expression in that sphere but in the exactly opposite quality of another sphere it is comical that the soaring flight of love the desire to belong to each other for all time lands ever like saft in the pantry but still more comical is it that this conclusion is said to constitute love's highest expression wherever there is a contradiction there the comical element is present also i am ever following that track if it be disconcerting to you dear fellow banqueteers to follow me in what i have to say now then follow me with averted countenances i myself am speaking as if with veiled eyes for as i see only the mystery in these matters why i cannot see or i see nothing what is a consequence if it cannot in some way or other be brought under the same head as its antecedent why it would then be ridiculous if posed as a consequence to illustrate 
if a man who wanted to take a bath jumped into the tank and coming to the surface again somewhat confused groped for the rope to hold on to but caught the douche line by mistake and a shower now descended on him with sufficient motivation and for excellent good reason why then the consequence would be entirely in order the ridiculous here consisted in his seizing the wrong rope but there is nothing ridiculous in the shower descending when one pulls on the proper rope rather it would be ridiculous if it did not come as for example just to show the correctness of my contention about contradictions if a man nerved himself with bold resolution in order to withstand the shock and in the enthusiasm of his decision with a stout heart pulled the line and the shower did not come let us now see how it is with regard to love the lovers wish to belong to each other for all time and this they express curiously by embracing each other with all the intensity of the moment and all the bliss of love is said to reside therein but all desire is egotistic now to be sure the lover's desire is not egotistic in respect of the one he loves but the desire of both in conjunction is absolutely egotistic in so far as they in their union and love represent a new ego and yet they are deceived for in the same moment the race triumphs over the individual the race is victorious and the individuals are debased to do its bidding now this i find more ridiculous than what aristophanes thought so ridiculous the ridiculous aspect of his theory of bisection lies in the inherent contradiction which the ancient author does not sufficiently emphasize however in considering a person one naturally supposes him to be an entity and so one does believe till it becomes apparent that under the obsession of love he is but a half which runs about looking for its complement there is nothing ridiculous in half an apple the comical would appear if a whole apple turned out to be only half an apple in the first case there exists no contradiction but certainly in the latter if one actually based one's reasoning on the figure of speech that woman is but half a person she would not be ridiculous at all in her love man however who has been enjoying civic rights as a whole person will certainly appear ridiculous when he takes to running about and looking for his other half for he betrays thereby that he is but half a person in fact the more one thinks about the matter the more ridiculous it seems because if man really be a whole why then he will not become a whole in love but he and woman would make up one and a half no wonder then that the gods laugh and particularly at man but let me return to my consequence when the lovers have found each other one would certainly believe that they formed a whole and in this should lie the proof of their assertion that they wished to live for each other for all time but lo instead of living for each other they begin to live for the race and this they do not even suspect what is a consequence if as i observed one cannot detect in it the cause out of which it proceeded 
the consequence is merely ridiculous and he becomes a laughing-stock to whom this happens now the fact that the separated halves have found each other ought to be a complete satisfaction and rest for them and yet the consequence is a new existence that having found each other should mean a new existence for the lovers is comprehensible enough but not that a new existence for a third being should take its inception from this fact and yet the resulting consequence is greater than that of which it is the consequence whereas such an end as the lovers finding each other ought to be infallible evidence of no other subsequent consequence being thinkable does the satisfaction of any other desire show an analogy to this consequence quite on the contrary the satisfaction of desire is in every other case evinced by a period of rest and even if a tristitia does supervene indicating by the way that every satisfaction of an appetite is comical this tristitia is a straightforward consequence though no tristitia so eloquently attests a preceding comical element as does that following love it is quite another matter with an enormous consequence such as we are dealing with a consequence of which no one knows whence it comes nor whether it will come whereas if it does come it comes as a consequence who is able to grasp this and yet that which for the initiates of love constitutes the greatest pleasure is also the most important thing to them so important that they even adopt new names derived from the consequence thereof which thus curiously enough assumes retroactive force the lover is now called a father his sweetheart mother and these names seem to them the most beautiful and yet there is a being to whom these names are even more beautiful for what is so beautiful as filial piety to me it seems the most beautiful of all sentiments and fortunately i can appreciate the thought underlying it we are taught that it is seeming in a son to love his father this i comprehend i cannot even suspect that there is any contradiction possible here and i acknowledge infinite satisfaction in being held by the loving bonds of filial piety i believe it is the greatest debt of all to owe another being one's life i believe that this debt cannot ever be wiped out or even fathomed by any calculation and for this reason i agree with cicero when he asserts that the son is always in the wrong against his father and it is precisely filial piety which teaches me to believe this this teaches me not even to penetrate the hidden but rather to remain hidden in the father quite true i am glad to be another person's greatest debtor but as to the opposite viz before deciding to make another person my greatest debtor i want to arrive at greater clarity for to my conception there is a world of difference between being some person's debtor and making some person one's debtor to such an extent that he will never be able to clear himself 
what filial pity forbids the son to consider love bids the father to consider and here contradiction sets in again if the son has an immortal soul like his father what does it mean then to be a father for must i not smile at myself when thinking of myself as a father whereas the son is most deeply moved when he reflects on the relation he bears to his father very well do i understand plato when he says that an animal will give birth to an animal of the same species a plant to a plant of the same species and thus also man to man but this explains nothing does not satisfy one's thought and arouses but a dim feeling for an immortal soul cannot be born whenever then a father considers his son in the light of his son's immortality which is indeed the essential consideration he will probably smile at himself for he cannot by any means grasp in their entirety all the beautiful and noble thoughts which his son with filial piety entertains about him if on the other hand he considers his son from the point of view of his animal nature he must smile again because the conception of fatherhood is too exalted an expression for it finally if it were thinkable that a father influenced his son in such fashion that his own nature was a condition from which the son's nature could not free itself then the contradiction would arise in another direction for in this case nothing more terrible is thinkable than being a father there is no comparison between killing a person and giving him life the former decides his fate only in time the other for all eternity so there is a contradiction again and one both to laugh and to weep about is paternity then an illusion even if not in the same sense as implied in magdalene's speech to geronimus or is it the most terrible thought imaginable is it the greatest benefit conferred on one or is it the sweetest gratification of one's desire is it something which just happens or is it the greatest task of life look you for this reason have i forsworn all love for my thought is to me the most essential consideration so even if love be the most exquisite joy i renounce it without wishing either to offend or to envy any one and even if love be the condition for conferring the greatest benefit imaginable i deny myself the opportunity therefore but my thought i have not prostituted by no means do i lack an eye for what is beautiful by no means does my heart remain unmoved when i read the songs of the poets by no means is my soul without sadness when it yields to the beautiful conception of love but i do not wish to become unfaithful to my thought and of what avail were it to be for there is no happiness possible for me except my thought have free sway if it had not i would in desperation yearn for my thought which i may not desert to cleave to a wife 
for it is my immortal part and hence of more importance than a wife well do i comprehend that if anything is sacred it is love that if faithlessness in any relation is base it is doubly so in love that if any deceit is detestable it is tenfold more detestable in love but my soul is innocent of blame i have never looked at any woman to desire her neither have i fluttered about aimlessly before blindly plunging or lapsing into the most decisive of all relations if i knew what the lovable were i would know for certain whether i had offended by tempting any one but since i do not know i am certain only of never having had the conscious desire to do so supposing i should yield to love and be made to laugh or supposing i should be cast down by terror since i cannot find the narrow path which lovers travel as easily as if it were the broad highway undisturbed by any doubts which they surely have bestowed thought on seeing our times have indeed reflected about all and consequently will commend me when i assert that to act unreflectingly is nonsense as one ought to have gone through all possible reflections before acting supposing i say i should yield to love would i not insult past redress my beloved one if i laughed or irrevocably plunged her into despair if i were overwhelmed by terror for i understand well enough that a woman cannot be expected to have thought as profoundly about these matters and a woman who found love comical as but gods and men can for which reason woman is a temptation luring them to become ridiculous would both betray a suspicious amount of previous experience and understand me least but a woman who comprehended the terror of love would have lost her loveliness and still fail to understand me she would be annihilated which is in no wise my case so long as my thought saves me is there no one ready to laugh when i began by wanting to speak about the comical element in love you perhaps expected to be made to laugh for it is easy to make you laugh and i myself am a friend of laughter and still you did not laugh i believe the effect of my speech was a different one and yet precisely this proves that i have spoken about the comical if there be no one who laughs at my speech well then laugh a little at me dear fellow banqueteers and i shall not wonder for i do not understand what i have occasionally heard you say about love very probably though you were among the initiated and i am not thereupon the young person seated himself and he had become more beautiful almost than before the meal now he sat quietly looking down before him unconcerned about the other john the seducer desired at once to urge some objections against the young person's speech but was interrupted by constantine who warned against discussions and ruled that on this occasion only speeches were in order 
john said that if that was the case he would stipulate that he should be allowed to be the last speaker this again gave rise to a discussion as to the order in which they were to speak which constantin closed by offering to speak forthwith against their recognizing his authority to appoint the speakers in their turn end of section two